Thank you for tuning in today and welcome back to another episode of The Source. I'm your host Zan Raza. And today I'll be talking to Yanis Varoufakis about the conflict in Israel and Palestine as well as issues surrounding the war in Ukraine. Yanis is the former finance minister of Greece and now the secretary general of the Democracy in Europe Movement 2025. He's a well-renowned economist, best-selling author and public intellectual. Yanis, welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me. It's good to be back. I would like to begin with a short recap. On October 7th, Hamas launched a surprise attack, breaching Israeli defenses and killing around 1,400 Israeli civilians and capturing 220 hostages. In response, Israel launched a massive aerial bombardment campaign in Gaza, which has thus far killed 5,000 Palestinian civilians, 40% of them being children. Israel also imposed a complete siege of Gaza, stopping electricity and water supplies, and has ordered 1.1 million Palestinians to flee to the south of Gaza. Hamas has released four hostages thus far, American mother and daughter and two elderly Israeli women. And Israel has sent small units of infantry troops and tanks in Gaza for localized raids, but as of yet has not begun a major ground military operation. Can you comment on these developments, in particular Hamas's attack and Israel's response? It's a tragedy that is never ending, which is continuing. Each side wants to blame the other for war crimes, for crimes against humanity. And the fact is that both have perpetrated them. Uh, the main point that we need to make is twofold. Firstly, war crimes are never justified, never. Whatever your grievances, whatever somebody has done to you, an army of occupation, a group of militants, you are never justified to perpetrate war crimes. The Geneva Convention is not a la carte. It is meant to be applied at all times for everyone, independently of how deeply they have been wounded, independently of how great their grievances are. That's the first part, the first dimension of my answer. The second dimension of my answer is that this is what happens when for 70 years you have um, a very concerted attempt uh, ethnically, to, ethnically to cleanse a people. This is why on the day after the uh, attack by Hamas, which, of course, it was absolutely criminal to kill babies and to abduct people but it was completely within their rights to try to escape from an enclosure, a fence that was illegally placed there. Uh, the main point that I wanted to make, and for which I received a lot of attention, let me put it politely, is that, you know what? We Europeans are to blame. For centuries, we have persecuted the Jews. For centuries, we have practiced antisemitism. For centuries, we have turned a blind eye to pogroms against the people, the Jewish people. Uh, we are responsible as Europeans for the Holocaust, not just the Germans. The Holocaust had collaborators in Croatia, in Greece, in Italy, in France, Vichy, everywhere, everywhere across Europe. And then after that, we have tried to cleanse ourselves of the guilt by turning a blind eye to the ethnic cleansing, the genocide of the Palestinian people by the Israeli extremists, not by the Jews, must be very clear about that, but by the Israeli extremists. And in the end, we have uh, a situation where 
the extremists of both sides are in control. Because let's face it, Hamas was created by people like Netanyahu. And people like Netanyahu are Hamas's greatest friends because they each justify the atrocities of the other. When you have a conflagration that has been going on for decades, what matters is one thing, to end the causes of the conflagration. And the cause of the conflagration is the attempt to establish an apartheid state in Israel, which is against the interests of the Jews, against the interests of the Muslims, against the interests of the Israelis, against the interests of the Palestinians, against the interests of the Bedouins, the Christians, and all the other peoples who are inhabiting the ancient land of Palestine. Talking about Europe, let us now look at the developments uh, surrounding this issue taking place on the international stage. On the 23rd of October, EU foreign ministers met in Luxembourg to discuss the situation in Israel and Palestine and find some common ground on this issue. However, they could not find that, as some countries such as Spain and Ireland who called for a ceasefire, and on the other hand, countries like Germany stated, and let me quote the German foreign minister Annalena Baerbock here, quote, We've all seen that the terrorism continues non-stop, that massive rocket attacks against Israel are taking place. We can't end the humanitarian catastrophe when terrorism from Gaza continues, unquote. As someone who has seen the workings of the European Union from inside, how do you judge its stance or lack thereof? Scandalous. Yet another example of the moral decrepitude and the political para paralysis of the European Union. They can't even agree to call for a ceasefire. To, they agree to pay money to get humanitarian aid to the Palestinians. That they agreed on, right? But how are they going to get the aid there without a ceasefire? So they are committing a crime against logic because they have no moral spine, they have no political process that can make the European Union function as um, an operational, functioning, decision-making entity. So this is why I keep saying that um, I'm, going, I'm not going to condemn Israel, Palestine, Hamas, the settlers. Of course, they commit war, war crimes, but for us Europeans who are responsible for antisemitism and for Islamophobia and for the impasse in Israel-Palestine, for us to be like Miss Barbrook, the uh, absolutely hapless um, Minister of Foreign Affairs of the Federal Republic of Germany, together with uh, the greatest failure that has ever come out of the European Union's machinations, of course, Ursula von der Leyen, a failed defense minister who was sent over by Merkel trying to get rid of her from Berlin. She was sent to, to Brussels to represent us without a mandate, going to Israel and becoming a cheerleader of the mass bombing of um, civilians. For us Europeans, who are such a profound failure and such a profound guilty party to the crimes that are being committed in Palestine, Israel, for decades now, for us to you know, take the high ground and look down upon the Israelis and the Palestinians and to condemn violence coming from either side. We just don't have the right to do that. We are guilty. We should be hanging our heads in shame and doing whatever it takes in order to start making uh, progress in reaching decisions that at least are logically coherent, 
and which are not in gross violation of the Geneva Convention and the United Nations Charter. Let me take uh, this issue to another higher international stage, the United Nations. Uh, let me recap what has happened so far. On October 18, the United States vetoed a United Nations Security Council resolution that would call for a humanitarian pause in the conflict to allow uh, some humanitarian aid uh, to enter the Gaza Strip. Then yesterday, Israel Foreign Minister Eli Kohn addressed the UN Security Council and stated, quote, Hamas are the new Nazis, unquote, and called on the civilized world to fight against Hamas as they did in Germany in 1945. UN General Secretary Antonio Guterres, on the other hand, strongly condemned the actions of Hamas, but also mentioned what you already talked about, that this uh, uh, conflict is not happening in a vacuum and involves 56 years of Israeli occupation and settlement expansion. However, he said there is no way that the attacks of Hamas can be justified based on that. In his response, Israeli officials have accused him of being a terrorist apologist or someone who is justifying terrorism. They have cancelled any scheduled meetings with Guterres and will not issue any visas to UN representatives. And they stated, quote, the time has come to teach them a lesson, unquote. Them implying, of course, the UN. In your opinion, is it fair to mention the Israeli occupation and expansion of settlements in a times of crisis like this, which involves a lot of emotion? And secondly, does this in any way justify terrorism as claimed by Israel? Allow me to comment on uh, the statement by uh, the Israeli ambassador to the United Nations that he is going to, he or Israel is going to teach the United Nations a lesson. Now, there have been many times when I've disagreed, personally speaking, with uh, a decision by the United Nations um, Security Council, by the General Assembly. I've disagreed with things that Secretary Generals of the United Nations have said. And I think that it is absolutely legitimate for anyone to disagree with what the United Nations does, says, or doesn't say. But to have a state that is a member state of the United Nations threaten the United Nations that it will teach it, the United Nations, a lesson. That's a bridge too far. Israel has become officially a rogue state that must be expelled from the United Nations. If you threaten the United Nations with a lesson, then you don't deserve to be a member of the United Nations. On the very pertinent question you asked, does the ethnic cleansing of Palestinians, does the state of apartheid, does the behavior, the murders of settlers, of Palestinians, does all that justify war crimes by Hamas? The answer is a clear no. Nothing justifies war crimes. You know, once upon a time, we thought that uh, at the end of the Second World War, we had all agreed on that. It doesn't matter what gets done to you. You have the right to defend yourself, but that does not mean that you have a right to commit war crimes, which are very specifically stated, like, for instance, transfer of populations, uh, targeting civilians, switching off the water <laughs> of civilians. These are all established war crimes, and you're not allowed to do them, whatever the other side does to you, right? So... The answer to this question is clear, but at the very, very same time, not to focus on the whole picture while trying to find an answer to the question, so what needs to be done to end these crimes on both sides, is essentially to take the side of the criminals. Nothing, nothing reinforces Hamas more 
than a United Nations or a United States or a European Union, which says that the war crimes perpetrated against the Palestinian people are all right, but the war crimes of Hamas are not all right. That is why I'm saying Netanyahu, Biden, Ursula von der Leyen, Mrs. Berbock are the best friends of Hamas. They don't want to be. But essentially, they are working for Hamas because then just, you know, let's ask ourselves a very simple question. Okay, let's say that Hamas is the worst thing that's ever happened to the world. It isn't. And by the way, this is a parenthesis. It is a major, major violation of Jewish history to compare Hamas with the Nazis. Hamas may be very, very nasty people who do atrocities, but the Nazis and the Holocaust are unique in the history of humanity. The crimes that the Nazis perpetrated against the Jews in the Holocaust are nothing like anything that has ever happened and hopefully will ever happen again. So to conflate Hamas with the Nazis is essentially to diminish the significance of the Holocaust in the hierarchy of evil. I close the parenthesis here. But let's say that Hamas is the worst thing that has happened in the history of the world. Okay, let's say here is a mental experiment that I invite people to perform alongside me. Suppose there is a button here, you know, on my computer and I can press it, or you can press it, and Hamas disappears through the annals of history. Let's say that, you know, we can have a, um, a time machine and go back in time, like in science fiction movies, and press a button, and Hamas doesn't exist. What would then happen? People say to me, well, why can't the Palestinians uh, pursue their legitimate rights peacefully? Well, they tried it. <laughs> and see what happened in the West Bank? Because there's no Hamas in the West Bank. They're being ethnically cleansed. Their houses are being bulldozed or taken over by settlers that arrive from the United States or Canada or from wherever, you know, a day before. Uh, their authority, the Palestinian authority that has renounced violence, which has renounced um, terrorism, which has recognized Israel and the right of the Jewish state to exist. Uh, what's, what has happened to the Palestinian authority? It's been humiliated. It's been taken to the cleaners. It's been reduced into a speck of dust in the winds of history. So those who oppose or contest the significance of looking at the problem in its entirety and who say, if you are a supporter of terrorism, if you talk about the apartheid state that, that is being implemented in uh, West Bank or Gaza, my message to them is you are Hamas's best friend. Uh, since we are at international law, I wanted to talk to you about a certain double standard that we have observed. For example, when it comes to Ukraine, um, whenever Russia annexes territory, as it did this year and last year, um, it, uh, figures like Ursula von der Leyen, Annalena Baerbock or Joe Biden all decry and invoke international law and human rights. Um, however, as you've mentioned, Israel's been doing this for at least 56 years and even this year, record amount of settlements were announced. Um, it's not like the West does not criticize this. In 2020, for example, Germany and France made a collective statement saying that there will be consequences for Israel if it continues to annex Palestinian territories. Earlier this year, in 2023, uh, the U US State Department said 
that uh, this escalates the conflicts between Israel and Palestine and um, is against the two-state solution. Um, so why, in your opinion, do these figures in one hand come with sanctions, international law, when Russia annexes uh, territory in Ukraine, but on the other hand, in Palestine, even though the voice criticism failed to take any action? When uh, Putin's troops invaded Ukraine, DiEM25, the Democracy in Europe movement, which I'm part of, and myself, we came out and condemned the invasion. And one thing we said back then, which was unfortunately prescient, was that DiEM25 will always take the side of the occupied, of the invader. And we mentioned, we said, whether it's Ukraine, Yemen, or for that matter, Palestine. Whoever invades will find us in support and in solidarity with the peoples that they invade. Uh, I wish the European Union could be consistent like that. I wish Mrs. von der Leyen were not so um, insanely, insanely inconsistent as to make, on the one hand, the point, which was correct, that when Putin was switching off the electricity and power supply and water and so on of the people in Mariupol or the people in Kharkiv or uh, the people in Kiev, for that matter, that that was a war crime. But when the Israelis are doing it to Gazgan, uh, it's uh, self-defense. That was um, Mrs. Ursula von der Leyen's um, uh, essential uh, self-cancellation. She just canceled herself as a legitimate spokesperson for anyone, including for herself. That's why she must go, DiEM25. We have a petition which is running. Please go and sign it. Ursula von der Leyen must go. She does not deserve to be the president of the European Commission. This is the gross uh, inconsistency that you are mentioning. Uh, so, so when Putin flattens Mariupol, completely flattens Mariupol, uh, and talks about uh, the Ukrainians as uh, terrorists that need to be eradicated, that's a war crime. That they were Nazi Ukrainians in Mariupol, there's no doubt. They say it themselves. Some of the Azov battalions even have the swastika here. They're not hiding it. Okay. That does not give Putin the right to flatten Mariupol, to kill people in the theater, to kill people in their homes, and to switch off their electricity and water. So the European Union condemning that as a war crime was correct. But when Israel is doing the same thing, saying that because Hamas is hiding amongst civilians, they will kill all the civilians, uh, <laughs> or as many as they want. And the president, Mr. Herzog of Israel, said that the civilians, because they're supporting those uh, Hamas uh, guerrillas, they are legitimate targets. He completely and utterly stated it. Uh, what happened then? Suddenly, hmm, they reminded me of President Roosevelt, who once said about the Tim Pot dictators in uh, Central America. Uh, he's a bastard, but he's our bastard. And that is the kind of uh, rhetoric that we hear from the European Union. But you ask me why is it that the European Union is falling uh, flat on its face with these inconsistencies? The reasons are, again, twofold. On the one hand, because the European Union, especially ever since the Ukraine war uh, broke out, uh, has ceased to exist. Effectively, they get uh, an email from Washington, D.C., and whatever the line might be on that email as to what they should say, they just parrot it. Uh, gone are the days of François Mitterrand, of Jacques Chirac, of um, even Schroeder, who articulated, um, you know, a European 
foreign policy. Uh, and the second reason, of course, is I mentioned that at the beginning, we Europeans have, especially the Germans, rightly so, a major, major guilt complex over the persecution of Jews. But my question to my, especially my German friends is, how many Palestinians need to die with your license for you to expunge this guilt? I would like to get some more concrete information about this situation taking place in Israel and Gaza. There's a lot of disagreement about Israel's response. However, many observers believe that a government cannot simply do nothing after such an attack. Therefore, especially when it comes to a hostage situation, therefore my question to you is, if you were now advising the Israeli government, how would you um, ask them to react, number one, to the terrorist attack, and number two, to save the hostages from Hamas? Well, suppose there was a hostage situation in Berlin. Suppose gunmen, doesn't matter who, uh, were to take 200 people hostage in a building in downtown Berlin. What would the German government do? They would immediately encircle it, put their people, their people, their army, their you know police, uh, riot squads, and all that, uh, special forces, uh, on high alert, encircle the, the area, and start negotiations for the release of the hostages. Imagine if somebody were to condemn the German government for not doing anything because they did not bomb the hell out of that building to kill everyone, including the hostages. I think that's my answer. I would like to switch gears here and move to Ukraine. According to the latest uh, study, uh, um, data from the Kiel Institute for the World Economy, the US has provided for 2.1 billion in military aid to Ukraine, whereas Germany has provided 17.2 billion. The US also supplied uh, Ukraine with long-range missiles that Ukraine used for the first time uh, inflicting heavy damage on two airfields in Russia-occupied territories. It is expected many of the advanced tanks and fighter jets that the U.S. agreed to supply to Ukraine early this year will become active in the coming months. How do you assess Ukraine's counter-offensive over the summer, and do you think it can finally make a breakthrough over the next few months, given all these new weapons are becoming active? I'm not a military expert. Uh, we have too many military experts, uh, especially on television screens these days, talking rubbish. What I do know is that this war cannot be won, either by Russia or by Ukraine. And when you have a war that cannot be run, I say this again, and when you have a war that cannot be won, then peace and the negotiation leading to just peace is the only alternative to perpetual massacres. But that's what we have now. We have perpetual massacres. The Ukrainians have lost most, more soldiers in a year and a half and Russians as well, of course, uh, than the Americans lost in uh, a 12-year struggle in uh, Vietnam. When I hear the West talking about supporting Ukraine until victory, I shudder to think what that means. How do they define victory? Will they take um, Sevastopol, Crimea, and how do we expect this to play out in Moscow uh, around the suitcase with the codes of, for the nuclear weapons? Uh, in any case, the battle lines in Ukraine resemble the Great War, trench warfare. Not much movement either way. 
there are major assaults on both sides. There's a Russian one happening now. So it seems to me that if the West truly believes that Putin is like Hitler, then I have a question for them. Why are you not sending troops in? Because when there was a Hitler, we sent every man and woman we could yeah, to the front to take Berlin. We didn't negotiate with Hitler because we shouldn't negotiate with Hitler. And we went all the way to Berlin and killed him in his bunker. Do you want to do this with Putin? Be my guest. But staying on the sidelines, sending weapons to the Ukrainians to keep killing themselves um, in trenches that are more like the First World War than the Second World War, that is irrational, bordering on the criminal. When Mr. Biden, the President of the United States, talks about dragging Putin through the International Criminal Court, which, by the way, the United States does not recognize, okay, talking about hypocrisy. Exactly how is he going to do this unless he takes Moscow? And how is he going to take Moscow if he's not participating in this war? So there's just, just hot air coming out of the mouth of the West's leadership. When, instead of that, uh, there should be a peace process involving, of course, Zelensky and Putin, Biden, President Xi of China, the European Union, maybe, if we can find anyone to lead us in these discussions. We do seem to have a small problem of representation. Who would represent us? But that's another matter. Um, DiEM25 has a particular proposal in, in place. We've had it now for almost a year and a half, which is really very simple. Give Putin a way out. Demand that he withdraws his troops to where they were before the 24th of February 2022. In exchange for guarantees of the security of Ukraine, without, however, NATO membership for Ukraine, so that Putin can go back home to Moscow and say, I secured what I wanted. NATO is not coming to our border. That doesn't mean that uh, Ukraine is going to be undefended. Israel is not a member, speaking of the Israel-Palestinian conflict again, is not a member of NATO, but they get plenty of support from the West, especially the United States. Austria was a member of um, the Western family of nations during the Cold War, was not a member of NATO. So what's this fixation with Ukraine becoming a member of NATO? which would be detrimental to everybody, including Ukraine. Because imagine if Ukraine was now a member of NATO, then we would have to send troops in and maybe even nuclear weapons. So immediate ceasefire, withdrawal of Russian troops to where they were before the latest invasion, um, guarantees by the international community for Ukraine, an EU investment program, a Marshall Plan for the, for the, for the Ukraine, financed by the European Union, even start the process of accession of Ukraine to the European Union, if the Ukrainians still want that, uh, maybe bring them into the single market. Uh, and for the Donbas area, which is a clearly contested area, in the sense that there are two populations there. There are those who have a Ukrainian um, identity and those who have a Russian identity. Well, we have found solutions for such very difficult situations in the past. Think of Northern Ireland, the Good Friday Agreement, 
we proposed something like the Good Friday Agreement for the Donbass area, demilitarized, um, with um, communities that are run by both sides simultaneously on a basis of unanimity with uh, foreign guarantees of uh, peace and reconciliation. To my last question, and I need to get your assessment of this given that you're an economist. Business activity in Germany contracted for a fourth straight month in October and manufacturing is downturn and the blame is being levied on high energy prices and the geopolitical situation. In spring, the German government was talking about economic growth, but now it is expected the economy will shrink by the end of this year. To calm the situation, German economy minister Robert Habeck has brought into a discussion energy subsidies for the industry. In your view, is there a course to take for Germany where it can still become an economic powerhouse while sanctioning Russia and still importing U.S. LNG gas? To begin with, the idea of energy subsidies is like King Canute ordering the tides to return whence they came. It's not going to work, Mr. Habeck. Germany has to come to terms with the fact that its business model, which was never sustainable, never sustainable. It was sustained for a very long time without being sustainable. It's now kaput, it's finished. It was based on dirt cheap gas from Gazprom, on low wages for German workers, and on boisterous Chinese markets for its exports. Initially, Greek, Italian, Spanish, Portuguese markets, then when our countries went bust in 2010, then it was Chinese markets. The new Cold War between the United States and China has ended this uh, um, ready-made marketplace China for Germany. The war in Ukraine has uh, destroyed the foundation of cheap energy and the end of the lockdowns and the unleashing of all this liquidity money that has been produced by the central banks um, through furlough schemes and so on has caused inflation that has uh, inflated also wages in Germany. So all planks of the German business model are gone, finished. Meanwhile, Germany is now facing the music. It is paying the cost for 13 years of zero investment because Mr. Schäuble and Mrs. Merkel were responsible through the austerity they imposed upon the Greeks, the Germans, uh, the Greeks and the Germans. They started here in Greece in order to take austerity to Germany. Uh, they imposed essentially circumstances of minimal investment in Germany. That's why the infrastructure in your country for uh, green energy, for digitization, uh, for artificial intelligence, for lithium batteries, for all the things that are the next phase of the industrial revolution. Germany is behind and it is behind because of mercantilist, idiotic, macroeconomically insane policies that divided Europe, that crashed investment in Germany, and which have left now Germany in this state of apoplexy, of polycrisis, as some other economists have called it. What's the way forward? Well, I think that we need somebody else than, other than Mr. Christian Lindner in the federal uh, finance ministry, because he's simply reproducing every idiotic uh, uh, aspect of the playbook of Merkel and Schäuble. Uh, we need a Germany that understands that its future lies in consolidation in Europe, of creating a federal treasury, 
creating a proper investment plan, not just for Germany, but for the whole of Europe, green investment plan. Everything that DiEM25 was campaigning for in the 2019 European Parliament elections, which were ignored, had those things been done in 2019, today Germany would be in a very different place. Is it too late? Maybe it is too late. But if you ask me, take our program, the Green New Deal for Europe from 2019, and implement it, and maybe you have a chance. But I do not see this happening. Janis Varoufakis, world-renowned economist, best-selling author and public intellectual. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. And thank you for tuning in today. Please don't forget to join our alternative channels on Rumble, Telegram and a podcast called Podbean. It is in times like these where giants like YouTube, which is owned by Google, can shadow ban and censor us as we are providing an alternative perspective to the mainstream media. Also, if you're watching our videos regularly, make sure to donate today. Even though we are 142,000 subscribers, only a few percent donate to us on a regular basis. Please take into consideration that there's an entire team working behind the scenes, from camera, light, audio, in the case of our German videos, translation, voiceover. So if you want us to continue providing you with information that is free from governmental corporate interest, make sure to donate today. I'm your host, Zan Raza. See you next time.